I'm Haley Oaks, midwife and host of Milk Trails Podcast. In each episode, I interview home birth and birth center mothers about their experiences preparing for and giving birth outside of the hospital. Sharing positive birth stories can help reduce fear and misunderstanding around childbirth while empowering and educating expectant families. Tune in to hear each episode on the Parents on Demand Network, as well as SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify, or visit our blog at midwifemilktrails.tumblr.com. Hey, I'm Sarah Bivens. And I'm Matthew Bivens. And this is the Doing It at Home podcast, the only podcast dedicated to empowering, loving, and honest conversations around home birth. What started as a fun way for us to document our own home birth journey has turned into a platform for sharing birth stories, resources, and education with the goal of empowering mamas and families to make the birth decisions that work best for them. Plus, we get into the antics, breakdowns, and breakthroughs of our own experience of marriage and parenthood. All right. You ready, babe? Yep. Let's do it, mama. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Doing It at Home podcast. Thanks so much for being here. As always, you can listen to us with the Parents on Demand Network app. So you can go to their website, parentsondemand.com, or check out the pod network, as in Parents on Demand, app on your iPhone or your Android device, and you can listen to Doing It at Home, us, along with all the other amazing shows within the network. I'm telling you, this is your one-stop shop for information on before conception, pregnancy, birth, parenting, beyond. This is where you want to be. This is the hub. I mean, parents on demand. So go check that out. In addition to that, check out our website, diahpodcast.com for the link to our store, our shop for your doing it at home swag, your t-shirts, tanks, sweatshirts, whatever other shirts, all different styles and colors and sizes for you. And we just love seeing pictures when you send them to us, if you wearing it, rocking it, you know, wherever you are, whatever you're doing for yourself or for your fellow birth junkie friend or midwife, doula, birth worker, birth photographer, (laughs) a lot of options there for you. So a couple notes for you there. And you can get links to any and all of what I just said in today's show notes. And we have an awesome interview today. So we are chatting with Lily Nichols. Lily is a real food dietitian. She's a specialist in prenatal nutrition, gestational diabetes, and she's the best-selling author of two books, Real Food for Pregnancy and Real Food for Gestational Diabetes. So this is great for you mamas who are pregnant or before conception, or you're just really into this conversation around nutrition and healthy pregnancy. This is a conversation for you. So we talk about the benefits of real food in pregnancy, you know, for baby's optimal development and also to minimize pregnancy complications and ease postpartum recovery for mamas. A lot of that can be linked, is linked to your nutrition and you can address a lot of things, you know, like the concept food is medicine. So this is a really beautiful deep dive into all that. We talk about foods to emphasize during the experience phase of pregnancy, as well as, you know, management of particular conditions that can come up and how nutrition can help you with them. And utilizing mindfulness, stress management, exercise, avoiding toxic products and things to really support you in being and feeling your best in pregnancy. So it's such an awesome conversation. And Lily is actually pregnant when we speak to her. And we're just so grateful for her coming on and joining us. So I know you're going to love it. Real quick, before we jump into that conversation, a quick note and gratitude for our sponsor. And then we'll be chatting with Lily Nichols. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hi, Lily. Welcome to the Doing It at Home podcast. Thanks so much for being here with us. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Yes, like Sarah said, we are super thrilled. We get to chat with you, and we're going to have a powerful conversation that I know so many moms and families are going to get a lot from. So thanks again. You bet. So you are up to a lot of really great things. And I think when mamas are listening and make the connection and, you know, follow some of the links in the show or look you up, they'll probably realize they've seen or heard of you if they didn't already know of you coming into this conversation, particularly pictures of your really well-known book that I know I have seen all over the gram and I've seen a lot of mamas utilizing it. Um, So could you just share a little bit about who you are, what you do and what you've created lately? Sure. Um, and I think you're talking about Real Food for Pregnancy. Although, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the second book. There's also Real Food for Gestational Diabetes. Um, yeah, my work has been in the prenatal nutrition sphere for most of my career as a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and a certified diabetes educator. I first got into it a bit by accident, actually, um, working in the public policy sphere with nutrition for gestational diabetes uh, with the state of California, uh, and then also have worked extensively in clinical practice, consulting in a number of research roles, and of course now writing as as well. Um, And essentially what all of these things have given me is a, a really close look at what our prenatal nutrition guidelines are, how they were set, how well they work in practice or don't, areas for improvement, and a lot of the gaps in the research between like what we've found in the last 20 years and what our guidelines are telling us we need to do in terms of, you know, optimizing prenatal nutrition. And ultimately that's why I do the work that I do is trying to highlight these things and giving mamas, you know, more empowerment, more control over the trajectory of their pregnancy, not like everything in pregnancy is within your control as a a currently pregnant mama. Um, I know that all too well, you know, you can't control every last little thing. But if we can, you know, make some choices with the best of intentions and the best knowledge available, we can reduce our chances of pregnancy complications, maybe enjoy our pregnancies a little better, um, have more say in what care providers we have, what type of birth we choose for ourselves, and ultimately have a healthier baby and a, a better postpartum recovery. So that's why I do the work that I do. Can you talk a little bit about how uh, nutrition can influence the trajectory of a pregnancy, like you were saying, and, and how it can help to reduce those complications and, and help you enjoy pregnancy more? Sure, there's a number of ways. So first off, from like the, you know, your baby's development, which I think is what a lot of people are thinking about. Um, there's a whole field of study called epigenetics, which is how your genes are expressed and how that can influence your risk of diseases or complications um, later in life. And so we know that 
a mother's intake of certain micronutrients, um, their intake of protein, for example, their intake of sugar, uh, their blood sugar levels, that could affect their baby's future risk of heart disease, diabetes, uh, developing obesity, and a, and a number of different outcomes. Specifically to pregnancy and a mom's experience of pregnancy and risk of complications, we can see effects on um, amount of uh, weight that's gained in pregnancy. We see effects on the risk of gestational diabetes. So for example, there's been studies showing that high intake of cereal, juice, and pastries increases the risk of gestational diabetes, whereas intake of nuts seems to offset and reduce the risk of gestational diabetes. We know that um, exercise, particularly in like the, you know, pre-pregnancy and through 20 weeks of pregnancy can reduce the risk of gestational diabetes upwards of 79%. So like huge. Um, Vitamin D, we know, can reduce your risk of gestational diabetes or just your levels of insulin resistance as a whole. There's like a whole field of study looking at preeclampsia, which gets really in the weeds, but there's a lot of different things like um, choline, a nutrient that you get in high amounts from eggs, seems to enhance the function of the placenta and reduce the risk of preeclampsia. There's certain amino acids, which seem to help your... um, your blood vessels be more elastic and and responsive to pressure changes. So you're less likely to have issues like high blood pressure and and thus maybe also preeclampsia as well. So there's a number of little things. If we start sort of piecing it all together and looking at what are these nutrients? What do they do? Where do we find them in food? Then you can start to reverse engineer a better prenatal nutrition plan to, to hopefully offset some of these risks. Mm. Yeah. You know, kind of the phrase, most people have probably heard it, you know, food as medicine. So food as an integral part of that prenatal experience and planning for, you know, it impacts a lot. You baby, you beyond baby, you know, the, the, the choices that you're making daily, as far as your food, aren't just that energy they're going to give you right then, you know, there can be long-term effects to that. Absolutely. Yeah. There was a really cool one, actually, I should mention, um, a study on vitamin D where they found the, um, incidence of preterm birth was reduced by 60% in women who maintained higher levels of, of vitamin D during pregnancy, which was, which involved supplementing with Mm, almost 10 times more than the current recommended intake for vitamin D, by the way. But that was an association that held true across all ethnic groups, which is really important because certain groups are at a higher risk for preeclampsia than others. And this seemed to sort of like offset some of that, you know, racial um, difference in, in incidence of preterm birth. To dig into that for just one second, how would somebody go about supplementing their vitamin D by 10 times the normal amount? How do you go about doing that? Yeah. Well, first off, I recommend having blood work done to see where your vitamin D levels are at to see if you should be supplementing with more. Um, But what I'll say is the current recommendation is 600 IUs or international units of vitamin D per day. We have a lot of research showing pretty consistently that's not enough to maintain adequate levels of vitamin D in mother or baby. So by the end of pregnancy, both would be deficient in vitamin D. 
But we have pretty strong evidence, um, including like randomized controlled trials, so really well done studies showing that 4,000 IUs is um, optimal for preventing deficiency in mama and baby, or in other words, maintaining adequate levels. The specific study that I mentioned, they supplemented across the board with 5,000 IUs per day um, and also monitored the mother's vitamin D levels. So it's one of those things where it's kind of up to you if you want to supplement or not. I think the most prudent choice is to get your blood levels tested by your clinician and see where you're at and if you should be supplementing with more. Um, and then, you know, roll with it, supplement accordingly if, if you need it. A lot of the vitamin D stuff is complicated because it's the one nutrient that we make primarily from sun exposure, not, not one that we get primarily from our diet. So really it's sun exposure versus supplements. So if you're a person who's out in the sun a lot, especially in a Southern, um, latitude, you're going to make have more opportunity to make vitamin D from the sun if you're out in the sun without sunscreen and protective clothing on in the middle part of the day. Whereas if you go farther north or you're in the winter months, you're less likely to get enough vitamin D from the sun. So it's a it's an extremely tricky one because there's not like a perfect amount of vitamin D that's right for every person. Um, but what we can say from the studies is at least the 4,000 IU level is pretty safe across the board. There's been no adverse events reported um, and seems to do a, a much better job at maintaining good levels of the vitamin versus limiting yourself to 600 IUs. Got it. Yeah. I just find this stuff fascinating, particularly that you can, you can, um, you know, limit the possibility of different things happening through things like supplementing and, you know, getting out in the sun more and all, all of that stuff. Right. So I know you have the ability to dig in a lot deeper but uh, we might have to do a separate call on that stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if we could reiterate then, you know, for the mama who's listening right now who kind of feels a little maybe overwhelmed or doesn't really know where to begin, you know, I'm just – I'm thinking of her because I was her at one point too, you know, even though, right. you know, I've been eating for 20 plus years. I know how to eat, but I haven't eaten with another human inside of me before. Right. Um, <laughs> what are some of the top things to be focusing on or emphasizing? You know, like it seems vitamin D. Definitely. Let's look at that. What else would right. the, the mama who's wondering where, cause there's a lot, right. And it could be overwhelming, but if you were to just like yeah. stay in this area and then with whatever else you're doing, you'll probably be covering most of what you want to be looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can start with the, the, the very basic sort of the building blocks of nutrition, which are like your macronutrients. It's where you get your calories, your energy. So we're looking at fat, protein, and carbohydrates from a from what we know from recent research is protein needs are a lot higher than we previously thought in pregnancy. Um, and certainly that seems to be, at least from my clinical experience, working one-on-one -on -one with moms, one of the most common things that people are lacking in protein. So emphasizing that you get a source of protein every single time you eat is optimal. So that can be, you know, animal source protein, like beef, chicken, fish, eggs, cheese. Um, it could be plant source protein, like beans, nuts, seeds, legumes. Um, you're, what you really want to do is just make sure you're getting some kind of protein <laughs> when you eat. It'll, you'll notice a significant difference in your energy levels and satiety. So if you're the type of person who feels like, oh my gosh, I'm famished after an hour and I need to eat again. 
that's usually a sign that you're not getting enough protein. Not always, but pretty common. It's either protein or fat are, are lacking, or you're just simply not eating enough as a whole. <laughs> so protein for sure is one that we need um, need to be cognizant of. And I'm, I'm really big on, you know, whole food sourced protein, because it's not just the protein that's important. It's the micronutrients, meaning the vitamins and minerals that are in it that are also working for you. So for example, if you do eggs in the morning, which I'm a really big fan of eggs in pregnancy, unless you have an allergy or sensitivity or something, I, I think everybody should be, be including eggs in their diet. That's like the number one source of a nutrient called choline, which is really important for your baby's brain development and for the, the function of your placenta, nutrient transfer to the baby. Um, so that one is is great. Eggs are fantastic if you can fit them in and just notice the difference in your energy levels on the days you have eggs for breakfast versus oatmeal or cereal or something that's a little more carb heavy and kind of pay attention to those mindful eating cues because your body will tell you when you're eating the right combination of foods for you. Um, you know, another one I would say is, is, you know, it, it, well, it depends on if you're in the first trimester or like nausea food aversion phase. But once you're out of that phase, right. <laughs> vegetables um, obviously have a lot of micronutrients in them and really should be making up, if possible, about half of our plate at meals. So protein, veggies, in order to make vegetables taste good, you need salt and fat. So don't shy away from those. You actually need more salt during pregnancy, not less. It does not increase your blood pressure. There's a lot of new research on this. It's fascinating. So make your food taste good. And then depending on the person, because we're all of our bodies are different, you might do well with a little extra carbs at the meal as well. So it might be some sweet potatoes or whole grain bread or the carbohydrates that are in beans or some fruit or something like that. Um, but those will give you a bit of a like a quick energy boost. Um, and they just sort of help round out the meal. Like I said, that's something where it's kind of like, it's, it's touch and go depending on your physiology. If you have gestational diabetes going on, for example, how much carbohydrates are right for you at a meal. But for the most part, most people do well having a little bit of those at meals also. Um, those would definitely be the things to emphasize, but in terms of what to avoid, it's really mainly like white sugar and white flour. They're, they're just the foods that don't have a lot of micronutrients in them just tend to take away and displace other more nutritious foods from the diet. And, you know, there's a time and a place where you might need to rely on those just to get through the day. I'm looking at the first trimester, yeah. <laughs> everything being like every food being averse except simple carbs, which is pretty, pretty common. Um, but once you're out of that phase, and you know, you do the best that you can with that phase, it's very tricky. Um, we really want to be minimizing those foods and emphasizing the foods that have a little more nutritional oomph to them. Mm -hmm. And so what about the mama who is in that phase, but also, you know, really wants to be making sure she's getting what she can, wherever else she can, what are some things that she could be doing or supplementing or drinking or, or whatever, right. if you know, you're just a, a breadhead for a lot of yeah. your pregnancy. <laughs> so my best advice in the first trimester is to try to not eat naked carbs. And let me explain that. So Naked carbs is just a, you know, fun term I came up with in my counseling years ago to help people 
understand the difference in how their body responds to carbs eaten by themselves, so like bread by itself with nothing else, um, versus that combined with something that has some protein and or fat with it. So how do you feel with a piece of bread versus a piece of bread with some peanut butter? Like you'll probably have a little more staying power with the bread and peanut butter because peanut butter has a lot of protein and fat. It doesn't spike your blood sugar, meaning your blood sugar is not going to tank as quickly. Um, of course, you're also adding like some extra energy in there, right? But um, but it keeps you going much longer without crashing and burning energy-wise. And there is there are some theories about um, nausea actually being made potentially worse if you're not eating enough protein, which is very tricky because often protein is averse. But of the protein foods that are least averse, it tends to be like nuts and nut butters, dairy products. So if you can opt for like a full fat Greek yogurt, for example, or cheese, cottage cheese, um, for some people, eggs. And then beyond that, like whatever you can tolerate, go for it. Oh, beans. Beans tend to be a little better tolerated as well. Um, Aim to include some protein with what you're eating, even if it's a couple bites. Like, say you make a scrambled egg in the morning, you can have two bites of it, but you can have your whole piece of toast. Hey, you're still doing something. You're still trying. Um, and then sort of making the best of, you know, I'm really craving sour gummy worms, but I know there's pretty much nothing nutritious and sour gummy worms for me. Is there something that would give me the same sweet and sour balance that also has some nutrition. So for me, one of the things that was really helpful was having um, tart dried cherries. And then I'd pair them with some salted cashews. And like the two of those, it was like, okay, I'm getting the sweet sour of the dried cherries, but I'm getting like a little fat and protein, like a little staying power from the cashews. And it was like a good balance. You know, there are bad days where it was like, all I can do is salt and vinegar chips, something about like, you know, the sour, the salty, the crunchy, the carbs, maybe the potassium and the potatoes, who knows. But like, sometimes you just have to, you know, make the best of it and just eat something that's not going to make you throw up. And then once you're past the, oh my God, I can't keep food down phase, try to fit in something that has, again, a, a little bit more staying power, really trying to get that protein in whenever you can. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'm curious your feedback on or something that you could offer to mamas, whether it's an affirmation or just something to be cognizant of, you know, say the mama who is now eating differently while pregnant or, or maybe realizing that that's what her body needs or what's serving her best or when she feels best, but that's not used to how she's necessarily eating when not pregnant. So say, for example, the vegan who decides to integrate some animal product while pregnant or you know, like I don't eat dairy much in my life, but if I found that that's what was serving me while pregnant, yeah, you know, I'll integrate that. Or for even the mama who didn't eat much carbs or, or had some sort of, you know, weight and um, just nutrition, you know, stuff, whether it was an eating disorder or things like that, just what, what can you offer? What would you encourage the mama to do remind herself of, look at when it comes to, you know, eating potentially differently while pregnant? but that's what serves your body best, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's tricky because your body does throw a lot of interesting signals your way. And I mean, for the most part, I, I am a fan of, of following your body's lead. So embracing mindful eating and trusting that there's probably a reason behind 
why this cue is coming your way, why your body wants to eat this particular food. I mean, with a vegan diet, for example, there are some nutrients that are not in that way of eating or are less absorbable or aren't provided in significant concentrations that'll sort of push you to maybe you'll have cravings for having a hamburger and maybe it's for a reason. Maybe you need the vitamin B12 and you need the well-absorbed iron. Who knows? Um, But how are you going to feel if you fight against that urge and like go against it, you know, Um, versus how do you feel when you like give in and actually take part of it? Just notice, notice the different sensations in your body. I think with a lot of things like dairy products, for example, I'm the same. I don't eat a ton of dairy outside of pregnancy. The good probably first half of pregnancy, I eat way more dairy than usual, way more. Um, and this is really common. I posted about this actually on my Instagram page. Um, and aside from a few haters who were like, dairy's always bad for you. You know, I can't believe you're doing this. Uh, most For the most part, it was hearing from other mamas who were like, oh, my God, I've had the same experience. It's so weird. Usually I'm like d- lactose intolerant or dairy intolerant, and that's all I want to eat. And so we have to kind of think about why might this be happening? And there's actually a lot of nutrition. I mean, you can find a nutritional rationale to eat just about anything. But when it comes to dairy products, there's a there's a couple uh, nutrients in there, which probably aren't what you're thinking of. I'm not talking about calcium that you might require more of that are, that are in a form that are working well for you in, in that phase of pregnancy. So for example, like your thyroid is undergoing like a huge adaptation to pregnancy in the first trimester and your thyroid requires a lot of nutrients one of them is iodine and aside from seafood which for most people is pretty averse in the first trimester um, your main sources of iodine are actually coming from eggs and dairy products so maybe there's a role for the iodine that's in there And that's why your body's craving it. Maybe it's one of the few protein-rich foods that you can tolerate right now. And your body really wants protein, but it's kind of turning you away from meat for a while. Um, I think we just have to sort of trust that our body is working in our favor and not trying to work against us. And we we just have to roll with it and not stress out about it too much. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Calendar. Let's be real. Running a household can be exhausting and chaotic. And finding the perfect Mother's Day gift, it's not exactly a no-brainer. Until now. The Skylight Calendar is the best way to organize the family and give everyone, especially mom, some peace of mind to enjoy the things that matter most. The Skylight Calendar is a smart, touchscreen calendar that keeps track of and manages the chores, dinner planning, groceries, and to-dos for the whole family. The Skylight Calendar automatically syncs each family member's digital calendars and displays them all together on one color-coded touchscreen. It even doubles as a digital picture frame so you can finally share all those special moments that are just sitting on your phone. As a limited-time offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightcal.com slash easy. One of the things that comes up for me as you're sharing them, like, does your pantry and refrigerator just have everything in it? Because it, it feels like you're very intentional with eating, like when you were pregnant, for example. And at the same time, you you had all these different varieties. So how do you 
how do you advise people do this in a practical way so that when they're craving the gummy worms, they have the the sweet tart cherries and the, you know, salted cashews on hand? Like how how do you recommend people actually shop so that they're eating real food that's going to nourish them and that they're, you know, checking off the different boxes that we've been talking about? Right. Well, first trimester is just a bit of a crapshoot. <laughs> so even with all that I know about all of these things, um, there are, for me, the food aversions would just come in waves. It was completely random what I would want to eat any given day or meal or hour of the day. It was just like, what the heck? So yeah. um, I found myself shopping more frequently and and then buying just, you know, I had more like crunchy snacky kind of foods. So more like nuts and dried fruits or um, some sort of like, you know, a cracker cookie thing made with like coconut flour. And so, you know, it's just like, whatever. Yeah. There was a time when I really wanted, um, I don't know why this settled my stomach. Those, um, pot stickers. That was like, they, they were like the most amazing thing. One day I bought two <laughs> packages and I ate through one package in like, you know, two days. The other package is still in my freezer. <laughs> like, now I don't want it anymore. Yeah. So first trimester is, really tricky. And I think it's just a matter of rolling with whatever comes your way. Um, as those the nausea and food aversions fade, and usually they fade in the second trimester, I think a lot of people, myself included, were like, it's sort of countdown to the 13 week mark. And you're like, they're going to be gone at 13 weeks. And then they're not gone at 13 weeks. And it's kind of a disappointment. Mine tend to gradually decline by about 15, 16 weeks. Um, at least it's been that way, both pregnancies. Uh, then I can get back to eating more real food. And it's actually a, a relief to be able to eat normally again, to be able to eat a quantity of food that's satisfying, to be able to eat enough protein so that I'm not hungry within an hour and a half or whatever it is. Um, I can incorporate more vegetables and more variety of flavors. First trimester is tricky. Um, yeah, it, it really, it really is tricky, but I think just from a general stance, nausea, food aversions aside, I, I'm usually, I have a blog post actually on my site called like lazy meal planning for people that hate meal planning. Cause I'm actually one of those people. Um, I cannot have like a week or two week meal plan and follow it. I can't have like a two day meal plan and follow it. I'm okay. Good. See, I'm just much more fly by the seat of my pants. And so that sort of walks through what my strategy is and it's prioritizing getting solid source of protein in my meals, some form of vegetable. And then if we're in the mood or if I'm really active or whatever, probably some sort of a starchy carby food, like, you know, beans or rice or sweet potatoes or something like that. Um, and as long as I'm getting sort of like the basics covered, I, I have at least enough cooking experience. I can kind of throw it together into something that resembles a meal. Um, I also tend to batch cook so that I make, you know, a larger portion of things and then can eat that for several days instead of having to cook every single day, every single meal, which nobody has time for. Yeah. I think that blog post would be awesome for a lot of people. I'm going to go download it right now. Yeah. <laughs> can you share yeah. the name of your website right now for folks so that they can... Uh, yeah, it's uh, lilynicholsrdn.com. Cool. 
Awesome. And we'll have links to that in the show notes as well. So if you're listening and you miss that, you know, just pause whenever you get a moment and go to the show notes and we'll have a link. Um, can we talk about real food for pregnancy for a second and just what, yeah. what inspired that? And I also want to get into um, a certain aspect that you cover in there that I know will be really interesting to mamas. Um, but can you just share briefly of, you know, what brought it up? Sure. So yeah, Real Food for Pregnancy was a book that was written in response to demand. People were asking me to write this book. I had released Real Food for Gestational Diabetes in 2015 and had no idea, no expectation for how how popular it would get, but it, it really took off. I mean, I think because people with gestational diabetes are actually getting results and then we're sharing about it. Um, People started asking me, especially fellow clinicians, um, do you have a book for prenatal nutrition? And that's like the same sort of evidence-based approach, but also just very, you know, common sense, not like super excessive in carbs. Like our guidelines are 45 to 65% of your diet coming from carbs. And my recommendations are lower than that. Um, do you have something to recommend? And I scoured the market and couldn't find something that was really, you know, that I could give my word (laughs) that was good, you know, that I could support. So I knew I needed to write this book. Um, I was pregnant with my son and not really going to have the bandwidth to be writing it. But by the time he was about 10 months old, I had been like outlining this book in my head for more than a year. And so it finally, finally came to fruition on paper. Um, took a lot longer than the first one to write. That's for sure. When you're <laughs> managing a baby and a toddler, a baby turned toddler, I guess, in the house. But it was really, it was like all of the frustrations that I had in my pregnancy of like not getting any nutrition advice or getting incorrect nutrition advice. Um, just sort of experiencing the, you know, state of prenatal care as a, as a patient, was like so disappointing (laughs) to me. And, and I felt like everything that I was doing to ensure that I had healthy pregnancy was up to me to research and implement. I mean, it really all comes down to your diet and your lifestyle. Those are the only things that are within your control. Everything else is kind of up to chance, right? Your genetics, your family history, and all all these things that are out of your control. The only things that you can take ownership over is how you care for your body. And there's a whole bunch of evidence on these very proactive ways that you can make sure your pregnancy is healthy. And that really was what what made me want to write the book and get it out there was to just give people a a better source of information than like this, you know, pamphlet, prenatal pamphlet you're given to make sure that my fellow colleagues were giving out the most up-to-date evidence-based advice because everybody is afraid of touching pregnancy. Like nobody wants to touch pregnancy with a 10-foot pole. The guidelines say this. I'm out. You, you just got to do what the guidelines say because we don't know any better. Um, and because I have so much experience in research, I knew that I could be a person to bring some of that research to light. You know, it takes probably 10 times more t- time to write a book that actually cites the source versus just rehashes what's in the guidelines. Um, and it was it was a lot, but it was something that I really felt passionate about getting out into the world. 
That's brilliant. And, you know, now it's a go-to resource for prenatal nutrition for mamas themselves, as well as many who care for the mamas and support them in their process. Um, One of the things I love about the book is that in addition to the evidence, right, like you said, citations, you have over 900 research citations that you allude to, but you also debunk a lot of the prenatal nutrition myths. And so if you could, can we just take a second and maybe share one or two of those? You know, we don't want to give away too much, but just one or two of those that are probably circulating about and, you know, the mama listening to this has probably heard it or or whatever and is is working with that. <laughs> yeah. These are always, it's always hard for me to choose just one yeah. because there's like, <laughs> there's like dozens. I'm like, hmm, which is the, which one do I want to pick from today? Yeah. Um, I think one of the most common ones would be you need to avoid certain foods because um, they they could make you sick. So I'll give one example of a food. So a lot of moms are told to avoid eggs with runny yolks during pregnancy because there's a chance that they could contain salmonella and you are more susceptible to getting food poisoning in pregnancy and it could be very dangerous and yada, yada, yada. Okay, that's all fine and good. Um, However, the relative risk of getting sick from eggs, the chances that an egg contains salmonella is anywhere from 1 in 12,000 to 1 in 30,000 eggs. So very, very rare. It's seven times more unlikely if your eggs are sourced from an organic or pasture-raised operation where the chickens are not raised in a confined, contaminated barn, essentially where they're like not raised in a place where they're walking in their own feces all day long, right? Um, So very rare. Uh, Moreover, if you are a person who only likes your eggs cooked over easy or over medium or soft boiled. And I'm, I'm one of those people. I usually prefer my eggs that way. If this advice means that you're not going to eat eggs whatsoever, and this is extremely common, by the way, I'd hear this all the time in practice. Now your diet doesn't include any eggs. What are the risks of you not consuming them? And I think I already mentioned choline earlier in the, in our talk, but egg yolks are the number one source of choline in your diet. If you're not going to include eggs, it's almost impossible that you'll get enough choline from your diet. In fact, I can't put together a meal plan that has enough choline if it doesn't include eggs, at least not the levels that we're now finding are optimal, which new research says is double what the current recommendation is. There's a lot more going on in eggs, but this just gives you like one nutrient example where there's a there's a nutritional risk and a nutritional benefit to any of these recommendations, and it's arbitrary what makes it on the list of what to avoid and what isn't on the list. It's like 46% of foodborne illness outbreaks in the U.S. are actually from fresh produce, mostly raw fruits and vegetables, but nobody is telling you yeah, to, to not eat a spinach salad, yeah. right? Or like, yeah. don't eat strawberries. No, nobody tells you that, but they tell you eggs. Eggs only account for 2% of the foodborne illness outbreaks in the U.S. So it's kind of, it's just unfair and arbitrary what's on the list. So there's a whole section on on that in the book. And it's not about me saying, like, this food is guaranteed to be safe and this food is guaranteed to be unsafe. Nobody can say that because you never know how something is contaminated. Um, But it's just making you think a little more about, do you really need to be this fearful of these particular foods. Um, That's a big one. I don't know if I have time to go into another 
example, but you let me know. Yeah, please. Yes, do one more. Uh, so another example is salt. So most people are told not to consume much salt in pregnancy because it's going to make them puffy or retain water or develop high blood pressure or preeclampsia. Turns out that that's completely false. And we have a growing body of data showing us that salt needs actually increase in pregnancy, which makes sense when you actually think about what's happening physiologically in pregnancy. So we all know that you get bigger in pregnancy. And part of that getting bigger is having more fluids on on board. Your blood volume increases, you have amniotic fluid. There's just more fluids in your system as a whole. Along with an increase of fluids, we also need to increase our intake of electrolytes, one of which is salt. I mean, if you go to the hospital because you're dehydrated, they're not going to give you distilled water in an IV bag. They're going to give you, at the very least, salt water because you need to have a balance of the fluids and the electrolytes. So when people are like, oh, I'm just craving like pickles and olives or, hey, the salt and vinegar chips that I mentioned, um, why might that be? Like maybe your body actually needs some salt. And it turns out that there are known risks of not consuming enough salt during pregnancy. And that includes some things that are actually known side effects of preeclampsia, which makes you wonder how much we can blame these issues on preeclampsia versus the dietary advice that these ladies were given to try to avoid or mitigate preeclampsia, like intrauterine growth restriction, preterm birth, um, low amniotic fluid. These are all things that can happen when you don't consume enough salt. So it's pretty safe to say you can, you can trust your taste buds. And if your body wants more salt, go with it. Yes. Also include more fluids in your, in your diet as well. Um, but you don't need to be so fearful of something that your body's telling you you want more of. Yeah. Love that. Can you, as we're coming to a close here to bring it into the conversation of home birth for a second, I know one of the draws for home birth for me was the ability to move about freely and eat and drink if I wanted to. And that's the case for a lot of mamas too, right? Or, you know, they just have that, that option. What, of course, understanding that it's different for every woman, what works best for you, you know, that as a, as a caveat, what are some of the things that you've, you've found or patterns or connections of some really great foods to have on hand during the experience of labor? I wish I could speak from personal experience here because I was one of those people who did not want to eat during labor. So yeah, I'll be, yeah. I'll be <laughs> curious to see what happens this next round. Um, first off, I would say like, as soon as you feel like you're going into labor, like eat something because you don't know if you're going to be someone like me who ends up throwing up a bunch. It's <laughs> like oh. low on energy, darn it. Yeah. Um, but I would say, at least from the from the nausea, fluids, keeping yourself going standpoint, I mean, sometimes heavier meals don't sit very well during labor. Although if you're eating early in labor, you might be able to get in some like good solid foods ahead of time. Um, but certainly keeping your um, fluids up and um, and your electrolytes up would be helpful. So uh, coconut water or like an electrolyte replacement beverage. I have a, I have one that's in the book, but there are some like non, non neon green ones or neon blue ones on the market. Yeah. You might check your health food store for, or just mix up yourself. 
Electrolyte beverages would be great. Um, a lot of midwives find that like honey sticks are really helpful. It's just about getting that like little bit in a little bit of energy in quickly that stays down. Um, if you can citrus, citrus flavors and like that sour, sweet balance tends to work really well. So if somebody can cut up an orange, (laughs) orange slices or something for you while you're in labor, that might be great. If you have if your body's feeling like up for it, certainly if you can get something that has a little protein in you, you know, protein in it, it might keep you going a little longer energy wise. So that might look like something, I mean, it's not a ton of protein, but at least it's not all fruit it would be something like a Lara bar, whether that's like the ones you buy at the store or like a homemade one would be a good option. It's, it's just about getting little bits in there, you know, to keep you going on this marathon. Yeah. Some people get lucky. Their births are like pretty quick. They can eat the whole time. It's it's not too hard. And other people, it's like, you know, a whole day or more saga and not being able to eat much. And in those cases, you're going to be a little more reliant on the things like coconut water, electrolyte beverages, watered down juice, honey, um, just to get yourself through. Yeah. Awesome. I think everything you listed out was great, though, so for yeah. folks to... To have some of those things on have. hand, yeah. especially what yeah. you said about when labor, when you recognize that it's starting to go ahead and try to eat something. You know, yeah. I don't think you and I, we did that. Yeah. You made me a peanut butter sandwich oh, and I got right. a little bit of it in and that was the only the thing tub. I had for the next 12 hours. Yeah. 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 So I think that's yeah. amazing advice, Lily. Yeah. I should have eaten right at the beginning, but. <laughs> 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 oh, well, they say that throwing up is supposed to be like helpful for contractions or whatnot. So who knows? Yay. But. Yeah, labor is always, that's one of those things where it's like, you certainly learn to roll with it, right? (laughs) Nothing you can do, surrender. Sure do. Lily Nichols, thank you so much for being here with us. I'm going to include links to everything from real food for pregnancy, real food for gestational diabetes, um, and ways to get in touch with you to learn more from you and what you got going on. It's just, it's so great. I know this is an amazing resource for mamas and best believe I'm going to be diving into my copy of real food for pregnancy when we get pregnant again, because I want all the things. And you love food. And I love food. So it works out really well. Here we go. (laughs) Yay. Yeah, thank you so much, Lily. Hey, thank you for having me on. Quick note about the Doing It at Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved? Datages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgle. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Datages. That's D A D A G E S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.